So, playing a gig tonight? Playing a gig tonight? Yeah, we're playing a gig tonight. So what? So I can come check you out and see if you're as shit as people say. <laughs> Fucking great we are. We're sex pistols. Just do yourself a favour. <laughs> boring, Sydney. Boring, boring. Boring, boring, boring. Exterminate! 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 Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. Anyway, let's get with me up. What's happening? Let's get right. Where are you now, Gabe? Did you move studios? I've been this here for a month. But I moved my. We never see those racks on either side of you. Uh, it's, I think I just changed the angle of my thing. Th- these are, are you in the closet. The, the GMP Records headquarters right closet? here. No, it's 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 my office. You can't. I mean, that's it's not. So what? Did your office yell at you that they don't want you in front of the window anymore, so they can see you when you're meeting with them? Uh, I got a new computer months ago. Ooh. Wait a minute. Newer than the last no, just, computer? No, the same new. new right. Anyway. The one you can't record. And on? the Wi-Fi works now, so I can move my desk around. I don't have to be hardwired in. But oh. I still have to be hardwired in because when I'm on the network, I have to be hardwired in because for some reason it kicks me off all the time. This is fascinating. Let's get right to it here. <laughs> How much uh, did you have to pay out last night? Or, or was there some clause in your... your st- all right, everybody, if you don't know what happened, Gabe uh, went out and uh, he's... Basically, what you're a bookie now? You're taking money from <laughs> you don't local understand H? the concept of football squares. Oh, not, really? Don't I? Guess who won fifty bucks on squares last night? This guy. You won fifty. How much did uh, you put up? Fifty. Five bucks. Okay. Well. So don't tell how me it how it works. That I don't understand a, the concept you, of squares. You sell a square for five, ten bucks, and you sell a hundred squares, and you give out the money to to the people. Did you have I'm squares not... to spare? <laughs> but I, it's uh, it's all even, Stephen. It's not like I made money or lost money. So you're saying you you did this out of the kindness of your dumb old heart? Is that what you're trying to make us no, believe? No, I'm, I'm. The concept is you. Spend five bucks, you get a hundred bucks back in GMP Records bucks. And you wait a minute, it. wait a minute. Everybody yes. who put in five dollars got a hundred dollars credit no, for GMP. Pe- people who won, people who won squares won. got the numbers. Yeah. That okay. Matched. Well, you just said here's what you do: you put in five bucks and you get a hundred bucks in GMP money. If you win, not everybody. Okay, gets if it. you win, it's a pool of money gets put together and you right. distribute it to the winners. That's how how much of that pool of money stays at the house? <laughs> <laughs> That's what inquiring It always stays at the house because it's going to GMP Records anyway. Do you understand? There's no actual cash. Right. Okay. Right. No actual. You know what? This whole thing sounds rigged. 
like like the game last night. It, it seems as rigged as that fucking game was last night. What do you know about you rigged You know sports? that game was rigged. Really? No, at the no. last second that you're happened? Just, you're, you're like those Trump people that said, oh, at the last hour, all these votes came in for Trump or for Biden, and there no, was a rigged no, 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 election. No, no. no. no, no. Don't you well, understand that's, that's how football no, works? That, that's not how that works. Yes, it is. Listen. That's bullshit. I call bullshit. You know that's bullshit. You believe no, there was that little that story, game. that little fairy tale that Listen, they sold all you football there's idiots? There's no agenda. There's no conspiracy. It's football. No, there's no agenda, no conspiracy, other than uh, this is the, the thing that people, they, get, they want eyeballs to watch their show. They it's want not a, good a game. game yes. It's they a, want a good show. Game. You it, really think that that game was on the up and up. Of course it was. And I if think any real sports fan would know, that was smells, one of the best, if it smells the best like Super Bowls. No. You don't understand the, the, the talent it takes to actually make that happen? To go four quarters and then take it to overtime and then win on a heroic you know, last drive of the game and, and just not screw it up and fumble the ball? Well, you, you believe know? in wrestling? I believe in... Now you don't think that's a show? Wrestling's a Why show. Why can't they do this with football? It's scripted. Football is. What about the bad calls from the refs? I'll tell All you one thing. I saw that long. Iron Claw movie, and they don't. There's nothing about them pre-scripting anything in that guy. It was a movie. Oh, what are you talking about? Of course there was. The scene before they go in, they talk about exactly what they're going to do. There's that one scene in that whole two-hour movie, and that wasn't indicative of their entire. You didn't get from that scene that that's what they do every night. You thought that was the Super Bowl? No, no, no. Come I on, thought, man. You got to watch saying, these movies a little bit more I'm, critically. No, no. I'm just and saying. Gabe, you got to watch me. football games a little bit more critically because that was nonsense. Right, I'm just saying words, they soft pedaled the whole concept of wrestling, which is that it's all scripted. Because very, we all know that it is. You've well, seen the wrestling. I don't know that everyone knows that. Gabe? When I grew up watching wrestling, I didn't think it was fake. There you go. I was 12. But now you know. Yes. But it okay. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're part of the game. You're Does it game. matter that football is fake? Some sports are fixed, yes. But I'm not going to say that the Super Bowl was fixed. It was a fine game. It was a great game. Here's the most Man. unbelievable yeah. thing that I heard It was heard a real exciting game, wasn't Super Bowl. it? Did this happen? You, could, you couldn't have written it any better. Or <laughs> could you have? <laughs> Ben, what were you gonna say? Um, people sorry, in Wisconsin—that's fine. I didn't. My my thing was stupid. But people in Wisconsin of are telling course. me that, that just as the game went into overtime and they went to a commercial break, there was a commercial for Hundreds of Beavers, the movie we just showed. Did that happen in Chicago? No. I guess they bought out <laughs> ad time in Wisconsin. I can't even believe. I can't imagine they have that kind of money. Maybe it doesn't cost as much to advertise in the Super Bowl as we've been led well, to. Believe. Maybe they did a pro bono. Maybe it was. It's they had extra innings or uh, well that's the uh, thing right overtime. maybe no, maybe like you could prepay for like an overtime ad but nobody thinks there's going to be overtime extra innings and you're <laughs> supposed to be an expert I was trying to give them a metaphor a sim, uh, simile no I get it yeah yeah for I people who don't the, know I didn't need the metaphor I know what overtime is <laughs> Gabe tell us what the difference between a metaphor and a simile is a metaphor is a a simile <laughs> and what's a homily. <laughs> That's the one I don't understand. Gabe, uh, who do we have on the show today? Today, we have the legendary booker, promoter, Nick Miller. Not to be confused with a bookie. 
He's not a bookie, but you know what? <laughs> he's a, he might people might think think he's a bookie. He's not. Promoters get a bad rep. Promoters get a bad rep. He's a talent buyer. Bookie. Booker. No, you're a bookie. He's a booker. Okay. Yes, booker, talent buyer is a simile, metaphor. I don't know what it is. No, it's it's a job title. <laughs> Stop it. Buying you a anyway, goddamn dictionary. Nick Miller's been uh, receiving proceeds from my pocket for decades. <laughs> decades. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm glad to do it. Because oh. he's been a promoter of shows over years. And uh, some of our best shows of all time have been promoted by Nick Miller. Nick Miller of Jam Productions. Our friends over at Jam Productions. He's uh, He is a very important fabric in the tapestry of the Chicago music scene, of, of Chicago culture. Uh, and, you know, and they're, they're still independent. You know, as big as they are, they're still independent, and it's not Live Nation. And So uh, Nick is here from Jam. And we're going we're gonna to pick our favorite shows. I think I know what Gabe's are going to be already. Favorite concerts. Concerts. Watch the you think you know what I'm going to pick? Shows. Concerts. Yes, you tell them a show, concert. A show is like a TV show sometimes, you could say. It's not a, my favorite show with Seinfeld or whatever. Have you ever, or if you have, when was the last time you said, oh, I went to an excellent concert last night? No, I went to a show last night. You playing a show tonight? Shows. You playing a show tonight? We you playing a concert tonight? What kind of idiot if you're talks talking to like people, that? If you're talking to people outside of your circle, you might say, well, I'm going to a concert. All right, if you're you, talking to your parents who, or your grandparents. Who the hell do you think we're talking say, to right now? <laughs> say, Grandma, I went to a, a, a concert last night. Oh, right. Okay. Go to people outside of your circle. They, they'll say concert. Well, our, our buddy uh, Tasty J, he, he likes to say, excellent concert. We got to get him on the show. I would love to get Tasty J on this show. Uh, I think he, he lives around you these days, Ben. He's, uh, he's up in Madison. Oh, yes. I've heard that about him. Yes. Yes. As in that. Herb, the last time I saw Herb, he said, hey, I came over to Matt. I just want you to know I was here seeing Tasty J. We didn't call you. Fuck off. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fine. Listen. Listen, Riser. You're a nerd. We were in Madison. We don't call nerds. We went fishing. I didn't think you would be into it. I'm done with you. Yeah. So I was, when we were editing last uh, week's episode, which... Holy shit, people liked. So if you like crappy episodes like last week's episode, hey, we can give you a lot more. Just uh, open this bottle over here. I don't want to do any more drunk episodes. It's terrible, man. Is it? Oh. Oh, it's, it's terrible. It almost made me stop drinking. <laughs> those are the favorites the fan favorites yeah they just like to, to see me make a fool of myself anyway i was going to name last week's episode let the bookie win do you get that gabe the bookie always wins no let the bookie win do you know what that's a, a reference to no i don't is it uh steely dan no it's star wars let the wookie win Okay, Ben, you knew this, right? I, I, that I know the reference now that you've told me what it is. Right, right, right. Uh oh. 
I didn't think last week was terrible. What were you thinking in the moment? By the end of the episode, were you desperate sorry, to get out sorry. get out of there? No, last week's sorry. episode was a little strange, but it wasn't terrible. I've, I've walked out of episodes saying, oh, I don't know if we got anything here, like Scott does every week. <laughs> what was the last episode that you walked out of thinking, I don't know if we got anything here? Every single one. The second night the f- of G-Man? The fig dish. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but that, that episode, it, it was a difficult birth, let's say. But let the bookie win. I was doing some research. Turns out Han Solo was married to a Wookiee. Do you guys know about this? Is Chewbacca an overgrown Wookiee? No, I think he's a full-size Wookiee. I think I that's, the that's about were... how big Wookiees get. What are the little midget bookies? I think you're thinking of uh, those those little guys from uh, Land of the Lost. I was reading I something recently about other names that George Lucas offered up to Star Wars characters, like for the sequels, like other <sighs> Darth, like he wanted like Darth Grumpy or Darth Insin- Insidious or something like just, and Darth people were like, Grumpy? people would... Yeah, and people like around him thought he was joking, but like he wasn't. <laughs> and now, now that I'm thinking about it, like think about Chewbacca. Like, what is that? Is that like chewing tobacco? And you just took out a couple of letters and just said, "Yeah, Chewbacca." You know, we he's he, he's really bad at names. Like we were talking about Beastmaster last <laughs> yeah, week right. and how bad those names were. They got nothing on George Lucas. Uh, <laughs> you know that character from that first prequel. What's that? Jar Jar Binks. Holy shit. Jar Jar Binks. All right. That's, that's the unfettered George Lucas. That's, that's George Lucas go. with no, no, no one to tie him down. Exactly. That's when George Lucas is like, hold my beer. Jar Jar Binks. What the fuck? I want him to talk like this. <laughs> you know, somebody was like, oh, yeah, you should totally do that. Like, what are you doing? No, and you know, everyone else was like, wait it. a minute. This is we're 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 someone's going in and looping this whole movie. Right. Like, that's not what this character is going to say. Somebody like somebody was like, no, let's let this guy hang himself with his own rope. Then we then we can take this stuff from him and we can do what we want. Yeah. Which, as it turns out, won't be is any that, better. Is that J.J. Abrams, dude? Is <laughs> yeah. is he is he going to be available someday? Yeah. Did we want to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the, uh, nominees? What are they? Is there any rock and roll artists There's on some. the list? I can't have this conversation every year, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the rock and roll in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Look, it's over, everybody. I'm, the Rock it, and Roll Hall of Fame is dead, and the Rock and Roll of Hall of Fame killed it. The nominees. Or the, Talk the, about uh, hanging themselves with their own rope. <laughs> Foreigner. And I like five in her. All right, what's that's the whole what's the whole list? There's a long list of the names. Mary J. Blige. We're going in order here. Okay. Mary J. Blige, Mariah Carey, oh. Cher, mm. Dave sure. Matthews Band. Oh, come on. Finally. Eric B. and Rakim. Mm-hmm. Foreigner. Mm-hmm. Peter Frampton. Finally. Jane's Addiction. Wait, what? Jane's Addiction? <laughs> yeah. They're not already in? No. Coolin' and the Gang. Coolin' cool and, and the Gang? Cool and cool the Gang. Whip. You Lenny Kravitz. Cool. Lenny Kravitz. Lenny Kravitz, he's got three I, hits. You know, I knew this day was going to come. I, I thought I'd be ready for it. Ugh, I'm not ready for it. Go Oasis. On. Oasis. All right. I've got no problem with that. Sinead O'Connor. Who's... 
You show me the person who's got a problem with that. Ozzy Osbourne, solo. Uh, before, finally. He, before it's too late, you got to give him Sade. That's and a tramp called Quest. All right. So you know a, a mix of the usual nonsense and stuff that that should be there. Yeah, but I, I say keep keep this thing going. Keep keep filling this thing with nonsense that doesn't mean anything. So someday we won't have to have this stupid conversation about what is and isn't rock and roll. Because I don't care anymore. I know, but the, the there should be like a, a calendar or a clock. You're on the clock now. For, so that you went on this year and you get five years. If you don't get in, you get dropped off the ballot. They Where's don't do Iron that? Maiden? Where's Iron Maiden? They were on there last year. They're not on there this year. Well, I guess the clock ran out. For yeah, them. I guess. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. I think they're just making things up. Whoever owns this crap and, and is making money off of this, they're just doing what they want to do. It's well, it's not, it's not Jan, Jan Winner anymore. Gil Brenner? He's out. It's the same old nonsense. I, I don't see the point. And I also don't understand bands that are from our generation who are so eager to get into this fucking shit either. It's like, it's all they talk about now. It's, it's gross. It's disgusting. It's like, yeah, but where's your edge? Who the fuck are you? But tell us about Tom Morello and how you feel about him. Hey man. Exhibit A. I guess it was worth breaking his band up for. I, listen, you think I that was know. the straw? It's suspicious. The timing is a little suspicious. It's not as suspicious as last night's football game. <laughs> Every sport can be rigged. You're right. You just bullshit commercials. That's bullshit the people. The whole thing. It reeks. It stinks. You think it's a bunch of billionaires just selling us yes. a product? Yes, I Jay-Z, absolutely do. Jay-Z's involved because he owns the halftime show with Apple Music. Whatever. Oh, really? Next year, it will be Taylor Swift doing the uh, halftime show, you think? Who cares? But where does Carrot Top fit in? What the... Okay, Carrot Top. <laughs> now, uh, and I've said this before, but uh, if, if Mickey Rourke and Carrot Top fucked and had a baby... It would look like Carrot Top. Come on, that's good material. Yeah. I don't want to hear no crickets. <laughs> we'll, we'll throw a laugh track in. <laughs> Are we going to do uh, something from the uh, teen movie hell this week? Oh. Yeah, I was listening to that. Then, and it appears to me that you, it sounds like you never saw private school. I don't think so. No. Huh. Interesting. Then why were you so quick to dismiss it when I brought it up? I just thought it was an obvious choice. Okay. So if you don't know what's going on, uh, Ben's old buddy, Mike McPadden wrote this book, teen movie hell. And he talks about the teen sex comedies of the eighties. Now are, are there... John Hughes movies in this book? Ben? Yeah, uh, well, let's take a look. Just as a baseline to, to see where he's coming from, what's the entry for The Breakfast Club? Look it up, look it up, look it up. 
Ferris Bueller is in here. I want, I want to know Breakfast Club. Okay. Now, this is an obvious choice, my friend. Is there? It's, it's not a sex comedy. No, but it's, I, I, I don't know. You know, you know Justine doesn't like us talking about teen sex teen comedies, sex? by the way. Yeah, she's, she's <laughs> like, you guys sound creepy when you talk about that. And which I, to which I say, I say tough. <laughs> the 80s teen sex comedies, they're ours. We can talk all we want about them. If we we want to talk about Phoebe Cates and Betsy Russell. We can talk about that. <laughs> tough titty. <laughs> to use. Ben, what are you doing? Are you, you going to read this thing? What's going on? Oh, I don't want to interrupt you. Please you ready? interrupt me. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> in our popular consciousness, writer-director John Hughes' talky comedy drama The Breakfast Club stands as the definitive 1980s teen film. You know what happens. Five conflicting high school archetypes are forced to spend an all-day detention together. Anthony Michael Hall is the brain. Emilio Estevez is the athlete. Ali Sheedy is the basket case. Molly Ringwald is the princess. And Judd Nelson is the criminal. Ultimately, they all, all involved discover that they have a lot more in common than anybody thought. Ain't that something? Also, these 16-year-olds <laughs> are smarter than anybody else in the entire universe. Ain't that really something? Is that it? No. With Hughes so drastically stacking the deck in favor of teenagers versus the whole big bad adult world, Sheedy even emotes at one point, when you grow up, your heart dies. The Breakfast Club connected soul deep with young audiences. How could it not? Teens initially packed theaters to experience The Breakfast Club multiple times. Then they watched and rewatched it at home so they would never, ever forget how powerfully it moved them. Kids of On a certain, TV. Fill yeah. you. <laughs> Kids of a certain age. <laughs> Grew up with their hearts on loan to hardscrabble Judd Nelson bemoaning the carton of cigarettes he got for Christmas from his abusive dad. Quote, the old man grabbed me and said, hey, smoke up, Johnny. <laughs> it's going to be a banner year. And then Mike says, puke. So Mike did doesn't you, think much you know, of Breakfast Club. No, he's not a John Hughes fan. Did you know why they call it the Breakfast Club? Do you? Are you going to tell it? Are you, are you, are you going to listen to knowledge on us? True. I don't know if this is true or not, but. The original ending of this movie, or one of the alternate endings, was that the people used to go out to breakfast every like once a week and didn't tell anybody or something like that. And they, you know, it was like the Breakfast Club. Now, I think what happened was uh, they would eat breakfast off of Anthony Michael Hall every morning, and that's that's what he'd get naked, and they'd eat oatmeal off of his gross redhead whatever he's got <laughs> well he ultimately here here here's the here's the end of his long thing about breakfast club and i think he blames breakfast club for ruining the entire teen sex movie genre okay as, as hollywood adjusted its product down for the market widening pg-13 rating and teenage boys found bona fide pornography with increasing ease the result was a post porky's apocalypse the monstrous success of the Breakfast Club. A lot of alliteration again. Yes, the monstrous <laughs> success of the Breakfast Club essentially bit off the genitals of the '80s teen sex comedy, chomped them into goo, and spewed forth the froth that steadily evolved into our Ew. present eternal Mike, <laughs> into our present eternal tween monoculture. When you grow up, your heart may or may not die, but my favorite movie genre and all the liberating promise it contained definitely did. And here's where I lay the blame. Ooh, good review. But uh, unfortunately, now I agree with Justine. 
What do you, what do you agree with Justine about? That we shouldn't be talking about this. It's creepy. Oh. <laughs> we can talk about this all we want. This is our time to reminisce about our teens. Oh, I, about... I agree. Save it for when we talk about it next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is it right now. I can't save it for next week. It's now. <laughs> so you, you think we're totally in the right. Yes. Ju- we're not Justine about... can go take a hike. We might be 50s, in our 50s, talking about teen sex comedy. We might yes. be. We are 15, 16, 17-year-olds remembering what it was like to watch these movies. Mm-hmm. Go on. So it's not the mind of a 52-year-old, 53-year-old thinking about Phoebe Cates. It's the mind of a 15-year-old. Right. The, 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 what do you, when, we see, when we see Phoebe Cates in 1982, we don't see a teenager. She's Correct. the same age as us. We get older, she stays the same age. That's, that's right. Creepy and to say. Nothing creepy about that. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's Nick Miller. Oh, look, it's Nick. <laughs> Hello. Nick, oh. Oh, how, how many guitars do you have? Mm, I don't know. Uh, I think 30 ish. What the fuck? Seriously? Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I've been playing since I was a kid, so I've just been buying them since I was a kid. Uh, what was the first guitar you ever bought? That one. Really? That Strat. Yep. So you, you right away, you, you got a good guitar, so you didn't buy any cheapy pieces of crap. No. no. Well, what happened was I, uh, my older sister plays, mm-hmm. and I played her acoustic guitars first her harmony and her Epiphone. And then when I went to get an electric guitar, I just saved up money because I knew I wanted a Stratocaster. And uh, I uh, saved up my money from working as a kid in high school and bought that thing. What was the job? Um, I was working at Barnaby's Pizza. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I ran the pizza room. Um, And then I quit. And then I worked at another place uh, called Nico's that was in Arlington Heights across the street from our high school. And Uh that's where I really kind of banked all the cash and saw an ad in the Tribune for a Strat for $350 and drove down to Hyde Park and met this guy at his apartment and bought the guitar. All right. So $350 Strat, which which hurts to hear somebody say uh, and you worked at Barnaby's. You, you, you made pizzas. You were mm-hmm. in the pizza room. Oh, yeah. I can so still you, do the crimp with my, you know, you the can. crimp crust. Oh, yeah, yeah, Right. So you don't need this. <laughs> no. This is fun. This is fun. This job at Jam is just fun. <laughs> so it's safe to say that you've always been into music. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and yes. So, I mean, how did you get into getting into promotion and putting on shows? Oh, uh, that complete accident. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I graduated from college and I came back to Chicago, the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my degree in radio and TV from SIU and I started looking for a job in radio <clears throat> and 
as you might suspect, a kid coming straight out of college to go work at, at that time, the number two radio market in the country. Right. Um, it wasn't number three yet. It was still number two. Uh, you know, you get door slammed in your face a lot. So <laughs> I was I was I was auditioning, not auditioning. I was interviewing for jobs and um, I was really not having a lot of luck. And then I found uh, about out about this opening at WVVX or actually that Jam Productions had because. <laughs> yeah. There's, I don't know if you remember this uh, program, Real Precious Metal. Oh, yes. Yeah. RPM. On WVVX, RPM. 103.1? So, uh, 103.1. That's it. Yeah, you got it, Gabe. Yeah. All right. So I applied for a job there, and um, this other guy was applying for a job at the same time. They hired both of us to sell advertising. Um, but W, this RPM program was the brainchild of Arnie and Jerry at Jam. Mm -hmm. So this was 1986. And if you think about hard rock and heavy metal in 1986, who were the big bands? Who were the bands coming up? And where was the airplay for them? Well, there was no airplay, really. Right. Um, but, you know, Priest and Iron Maiden and all the new wave British heavy metal bands were starting to really come up and become grow to arena band size. Right. Meanwhile, you had Slayer, Metallica, Anthrax, all of that. Those bands kind of coming up at the same time, Megadeth, and no airplay. So Arnie and Jerry thought, well, why don't we just create our own radio program? And VVX was a brokered radio station. It was three thousand watts FM mono, and you know, from noon to two, it was Polish variety hour. Then from two to, you know, four, it was Ukrainian music. And, you know, it was that's what it, the station was. So what they did is they brokered a five hour time slot from 5 p.m. till seven or excuse me, seven to midnight, five days a week, created a radio program, hired DJs, hired Scott Loftus. And I forgot the other guy's name, Glenn. I forgot his name. Um, Come on, Gabe, what is it? It's not Glenn Friedman. It's not Glenn Friedman. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it might be. I think it might be. I'll look it up. Let's go ahead. Keep. So, so, and you know, these guys were a cut up. You know, Scott was like a reject from WMET, I think. And these guys were smoking bongs on the air and playing metal. <laughs> and, you know, I was, so here I am, like, I uh, get this job at Jam and, you know, wearing a suit every day, like going on sales calls, trying to get people to buy time on this radio station, buy air, you know, airtime. Of course, Arnie and Jerry kept all the natural clients as, as house accounts, you know, so like the army, the soda pop companies, the record labels, all that stuff was like off limits. So, you know, I, I beat the street and did that for a while, but at the same time, um, I think the week I got my job at jam doing that, I had auditioned for a spot in a band. And I got that at the same time. And uh, we made a record, we made a demo. Um, and I have this demo. And, you know, when I was working at Jam, I met, do you know who Scott Gilman is? Yeah. Do you know Scotty Gilman? All right. Yeah. So Scotty, Scotty was doing the job I do now. Um, he was booking the Park West, 
we weren't booking the Vic yet. The Park West, the Riv, the Aragon. Um, and that was it basically, but he was doing it himself. He didn't really have any help. And I met him, super nice guy. Uh, we talk about music and I, you know, I was obviously way, way, way into music all my life. Um, so he'd asked me about bands and, and, you know, one day I'm like, Hey, you know, can I, I don't know if this is okay. If this is conflict interest, but I'm in this band. I have this demo. Can I, can I, you know, if you have a spot, could I leave this with you? And he's like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What was but, the band called? Know, it's called Babzoid. Okay. All right. The band was like, uh, it was kind of new wavy, kind of tinge of gothy, you know, uh, yeah. kind of, Kira Susie the Banshees kind of vibe. Anyway, so uh, it was funny. The de- every time I sat at his desk, the, the tape just grew more dust on it. He ne- it never moved right. from the place I set it on. <laughs> but but Scotty was nice, and you know, and he would pick my brain. What do you think about this band? What do you think about this band? I'd be like, oh yeah, this one's uh, this. Uh, you know, so I I would give him advice, and I think that at that point, you know, he needed. Um, he needed help. He needed an assistant. So he went to, he asked me, do you want to learn what we really do here at jam? Hmm. And, uh, I said, you know, meanwhile, on this timeline, not long after I started trying to sell this very tough demo to ad agencies, um, there was this satellite radio company called Xerox that came into the market. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you remember them? Oh yes. Do you remember them Gabe? So uh, one hundred two point nine? No, no, no. What, what the uh, heck was 10, that? One hundred three. One I think they're one hundred three point five. Yeah, one hundred three point five. Right around the horn from. They're, uh, they're right by yep. us. They're right next to oh, us, boy. frequency wise. <laughs> but they weren't three thousand watts FM mono five nights or five five hours a day, five nights a week. They were fifty thousand watts stereo, twenty four hours. I mean, you turned it on in the morning, and it was raining blood from Slayer at eight a.m. You know, <laughs> wow. and all day. So really, we just added, we were getting our ass handed to us by this station. You know, right. people were like, well, if I'm going to buy this demo, I'm not buying your silly radio station. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I at that point, I was kind of interested in not being a sales guy. I mean, I never really wanted to be a sales guy anyway, right. but, um, but <laughs> I thought I was going to be in a band. Um, well, you are. I am. Yeah. Yes, that's true. And I was then too. Anyway, so I, uh, Scotty asked me if I'd like to learn what they really do at jam. And I said, yeah, let's, I'm interested. So he brought me to shows. I learned how to settle shows. And, uh, I'm sure that was like really a godsend for him. So he didn't have to be out every night. Mm -hmm. So I started covering shows and then he taught me about how to put together a bid sheet you know, when you're when you're building an expense sheet to actually put on a show what that all goes into that. And um, I just started working with him. I was uh, I became his assistant full time later that year. And then uh, about a year and a half later, they moved him into doing arenas and large theaters and moved me into being the head of the club department. And I've been there ever since. Yeah. It's really amazing to me about Jam getting involved with radio. They kind of did that with XRT back in the 70s too, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. They were part of that. I don't know how big they, you know, Arnie and Jerry 
you know, say that they were a big part of XRT. And I think they probably were to a certain extent. And that's probably where the idea for VVX really came from was their involvement right. in, in Triad Magazine and uh, WXRT. Because they were a similar station, you know. Yeah. XRT was brokered. It was one on its sunset. Same thing. So what was the first show that you kind of feel like you were in charge of, that you were you were the guy? Oh, boy. I don't even know. Like one that I booked and settled and everything else? I don't even know. I mean, I just started, once I started covering shows, the volume was so high, it just became a blur. But I really? think, yeah, I think the first show I actually kind of settled was a comedy show at Park West. It was uh, Emo Phillips and Judy Tenuta. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. All right. Two shows in one night. But, you know, from that, I mean, but it was. So they weren't on tour together. They just happened to be doing different shows that same night no she opened for him okay i got you. judy yeah judy opened for him and i think i thought they were involved at oh the yeah time as they well were. so yeah i think so, they were married they i think they were i want to say the same thing ben i think they might have been married as well hilarious couple yeah um, it's crazy to me like like the amount of venues and the amount of people that you 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 know and you have in just to keep straight in this mental Rolodex in your head. It, it, I couldn't do it. It's insane. Well, I mean, it's just spending time doing it. It's like anything else you do where, you know, whether, I mean, how many songs do you know? How many songs do you know off the top of your head that you can just play without having to read or look at anything? Five. Probably a lot. <laughs> Five. Five hundred. Five. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's it's that kind of, you do it so much and you do, you do it for as long as we're doing it. It's just second nature. So what was the first concert you saw? The first concert I ever saw was Jackson Brown. Okay. Running on empty tour at Ravinia. Yeah. And my sister, you know how old he was in 1969. Who? Jackson Brown. Oh yeah. No, uh, so, uh, uh, Gabe knows. Uh, Tell him, Gabe. Uh, 17? 25, 17, 29. I was seven, 25. Seven, I don't know. 25, So Jackson Brown, the Running on Empty tour. Yes, that's the first. That's the first concert I saw. Um, but then I saw a lot after that. Yeah, it just kind of went on, but. Um, how many times would you say you've seen Cheap Trick? Um, oh, boy. Twenty? <laughs> uh, Come on. You only 20 times? 20? Probably 20 times. I've seen Cheap Trick more than 20 times. There's no way you've only seen them 20 times. I don't know. I've lost count. I've been seeing them for a very long time, though. Gabe, how many times have you seen Cheap Trick? 20? Uh, probably 10. Maybe maybe 15. So 10? Yeah. Were you working that show when they played the, the Four Nights at Metro? I booked it. You booked it, yeah. <laughs> there was this um, conference in Aspen, this music mm. conference that I was at. And we were at, during the conference, we were at a bar or a party one night, and Dave Fry comes up and he goes, hey, I want to talk to you about something. I go, yeah? He goes, uh, so 
Epic's going to remaster the first three Cheap Trick albums and Budokan. Right. I go, oh, cool. He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, uh, I want, I want to commemorate it somehow. I got this idea that we do an album each night at Metro. And I asked my eyes wide open. I'm like, whoa, okay, when? Yeah. And that's what that's when it all started. It was his idea, and um, I booked it with Phil Ernst at ICM. Yeah, that I mean, those were great shows, and there was something about those shows that uh, maybe it, I'm overthinking it, but it seemed to shift people's attitude about where they were in their career, and you know, people stopped talking about the flame, and you know, it, it suddenly people were taking Cheap Trick very, very seriously. Is, am I anywhere close with that? I th I think that um, I think what happened was you had the fans who had been there for a long time, like me right. as kids. Um, and then I think you also had um, people of a certain age who were just kind of coming up and in a way discovering that there was more there than just the flame, you know, yeah. and I want you to want me. Um, so I, I think that's really what that was about. And, you know, once they discovered those records, I mean, really, I mean, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's amazing. It's mind boggling. It's yes. amazing. It's incredible. Like, but yes, okay, I was, so I, and I was at all four shows. Yes. They were <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So was I, you guys we were, making, were awesome. You we were making, were awesome. well, we, we, yeah, we played one, but, I know. Uh, but I was at all the shows and I remember we were making a record with Roy Thomas Baker and he was not happy that I was putting a pause on the recording to, to <laughs> come to these shows and he was just like i can't believe you're doing this and i was like oh my god missing these shows man where were you recording at the time in, at lake havasu arizona oh okay yeah nice he had nice. this recording studio that was in the side of a mountain so it was like going to work at the bat cave every day wow and it was may so weather wasn't too hot by then no it was it was quite pleasant yeah awesome pleasant awesome so the 90s working at jam in the 90s would you say that was a a halcyon era um <laughs> it, you know i suppose um there was certainly that to me was the most exciting that the local music scene became for a mm. while um you guys pumpkins urge um you know i i heard the uh the podcast with blake the other day fig dish you know right. all these bands fruit assault it was just like ba-boom 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 yeah. and that was a very exciting facet of all of it um but you know what you didn't have here's what you didn't have you didn't have the internet mm -hmm. you didn't have cell phones um when it was time to go home no one got a hold of anybody. Um, there was no anyone bugging you 24-7 on the weekend. I mean, right. if you had a show to cover, you had shows to cover. That's it. But, you know, now it's like I come home, I can work. I can work all day and all night till I go to bed if I want it. Right. Or I can just shut it down. It's There was nothing like that in the 90s. What, okay, what was the biggest pain in the ass show to book? 
in the that biggest era. Pain yeah. Biggest pain the ass. What's the worst? <laughs> I don't know. I I can't even think of what was the biggest pain in the I mean, there were agents who were pains in the ass. Uh-huh. I'm not gonna talk about them because a lot of them are still working. Sure, of course. Um we won't we, we can bleep discuss, you out. It's okay, we'll do that. We'll discuss them. <laughs> but you know, shows are us. shows. You know, you've got it's just shows are just the weirdest thing. Anything can happen. You know, we had a pumpkin show that Westwood One was doing at the Riv and right. they had a truck outside and I'm downstairs. I'm on the phone with somebody and they're they're on stage playing. And I'm I was in the middle of this conversation with someone. I didn't even think about it. But, you know, all of a sudden the door opens my office and my production guy at the time, Gino, sticks his head. He goes, you know, we've been without power for 30 seconds now. I'm like, I got to go by, you know, so ran upstairs, lightning had hit the transformer outside the Riv at the corner uh-huh. in the alley there and blew out the truck. So and then and fried the audio system. So quickly, our uh, production team at the Riv thought quick, retied power into something else that was into the lighting. So we could get audio up um, and got the show back on I just shit like that just happens um right you know I, stuff like body count at at the vic you know where the cops tried to shut the show down and, okay and they basically sent every every licensing division of the city to us that night to try and pull licenses they picketed it. Did you know about this? I, I was thinking, like, I was going to say why. And then I remembered, yes, cop killer. Cop killer. Course. Yeah, yes, right. cop killer. So the police department basically sealed off the block uh-huh. at Sheffield and Belmont and staged like a picket line, a protest line, which is fine. I mean, right. find a protest. That's their right. They're, you know, absolutely. But they shut off the street and did it in the middle of the street so people couldn't get to the show. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, well, they actually warned us. They warned Walt Klein. Uh, do you know Walt? Yeah. Walt used to own the Vic? Right. They <laughs> so I booked this show. And I, I'm i like, you know, I'd done Ice tea earlier in the year. We had done two shows at Metro. And and I'd met him and, you know, it was great. I sold out the two shows at Metro. Yeah. And, but this was the next project, um, Body Count. Right. And, um, you know, I wasn't thinking about anything other, you know, I know there was controversy about it, but whatever. There's always controversy in rock and roll. That's what it's kind of about. It's kind of right. built on in a way, right? We hope. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so in, the, in the days before the show, um, Walt Klein calls me up from the Vic. He goes, hey, Nikki, you Nikki. Uh, mm, I, I got the city calling me about this show. I got the I got the district commander calling me. Uh, they don't want this thing to happen. I'm like, so? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, you know, they're they're you know, they're they're talking about, you know, and I, you know, Walt, love Walt. God bless him. But, you know, Walt flew by the seat of his pants sometimes. And I didn't know you know what he was trying to tell me was he not caught up on his taxes or whatever were they you know right but he's he's telling me that every city agency is about to come down on him and 
And I'm like, okay, well, whatever, you know, we're good. It is what it is, right? And then he goes, yeah, he goes, uh, how many tickets did you sell? And I told him, and he goes, oh, he goes, Nick, he goes, that's not really our capacity here. I go, what? Oh. He goes, yeah, that's not really our capacity. <laughs> I'm like, he's been letting me sell tickets at this capacity for years. Right, right. And then now tells me, by the way, if the fire department shows up, we're going to be in trouble. I'm like, oh. I go, what is the capacity? And he tells me, I'm like, great. I look at my deal. Uh-huh. I made a very aggressive deal because I'd sold out two nights with him before. And this was going to be huge, right? Right. Call up, call up. Ice-T's agent, Kara Lewis, like, hey, Kara, I got a problem. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I just found out that the capacity of the VIC, the legal capacity of the VIC is not what I've been told it was all along. And every city agency is going to be there, including the fire department. And if we oversell this show, they will shut it down. They're looking for every reason to do it. Right. I said, so I'm going to pay you in full. I'm going to pay you based on whatever the deal is. I'm going to, I'm going to, cover that, but I'm not going to be able to sell the full capacity that we agreed upon. <laughs> she was like, she was like, okay, cool. Thank you for keeping the show in. Uh-huh. So, and you know, we'll, we'll work on that anyway. So we get to the show that day. And of course I, I could, I couldn't even get my car to park anywhere near there because the cops had it all shut off. And, uh, we so I mean, did you in. lose your ass on the show because you couldn't? Uh, we lost. We lost a little bit of money. Yeah, yeah. We did lose a little. This is before we owned the building. Walt right. owned it. So, um, and before we got the capacity all sorted, <laughs> everything else with with the city. So, uh, but Ice was very very appreciative of me putting on the show. Nice. Um, he was. Uh, he said some very nice things to me backstage, and he was. It was cool. But, right on you know well, I, but you never know what's going to happen at a show yeah power goes out cops want to shut it down People were you working sick. at were you working at sonic youth public enemy show at aragon no i wasn't actually andy serzan and i think andrew kaplan was i think i don't know if he's there yet certainly andy serzan was there i uh i was going but i mm. wasn't working on it yeah yeah that kid that got a little out of hand that got crazy yeah Okay, what about Rolling Stones at Double Door? You knew this was going to come up. Um, yeah, uh, I worked on it with, with... We were doing the shows at Soldier Field, and Scott Gelman was um, working on that, so he kind of ran point on the Double Door show, but I, I worked on it with him, and I was there first thing in the morning, taking $5 from people and putting wristbands on them for later. Wow. And then, of course, <laughs> I went and saw the show later, which was, uh, you know... I never really needed to see them again after that. Yeah. Because yeah. I was never going to have that experience. I mean, I'd seen them so many times before that. And uh, I just didn't, you know, that was just a singular experience seeing them you, in a small club. Oh, it was amazing. It was, I, I couldn't believe I got in. It was amazing. Yeah. But you, you guys built that stage out for them? Is uh, that what happened? They built the stage out, and they also brought in a lot of barricade, if you remember. Yeah. Well, I was be- I was behind the bar, right behind uh, Roger Ebert. So, I, I, I yeah, I, I was by the barricade. <laughs> Were you friends with him? Did you know him? No. Did you guys talk, you guys talk film? Well, at one point uh, in between songs, I, I tapped him on the shoulder, and he turns, looks at me, and I said, uh, Mr. Ebert, I'm a 
huge fan and uh, I think Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is a great movie he pushes up his glasses he goes yes it is and then he turns away from me and that was it it's a great movie it is great it's a yeah. fucking great movie yes it, it is. is a great movie I love that movie Gabe how do you think this question of yours is going to turn out oh I'm I'm feeling good about this one oh Nick, I you don't think you, you should you said you listen to the podcast <laughs> you, 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 you're not a virgin ears to this podcast no I actually I got quite intimidated after I listened to Blake Greg Saran and Jack Douglas I'm oh. like really why are they talking to me about anything <laughs> <laughs> well you, you're a much better guest than Blake so don't don't worry about that <laughs> I'm not as clever as Blake and not oh. as entertaining that's well, for sure I don't know <laughs> <laughs> he got better stories than I do <laughs> he doesn't tell him. <laughs> well, there's a reason why. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, but before we get to the question, I, I want to ask you a question because you, you mentioned Sean Duffy. Yes. Uh, and I noticed he's he's booking again, right? He is. Yep. Yeah. But was he a competitor or was he a, like a colleague of yours? Um, he was a he was not really a competitor at the time, but when Scotty introduced me to him, Scott Gelman introduced him uh, to me. Um, we just started working together. We became colleagues and we did shows for years. We did Cubby Bear. We got kicked out of the Cubby Bear, went to Medusa's. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, we did shows and it was, it was fun. Um, at a certain point, we just kind of stopped working together. I don't even remember the whole circumstance why. Um, and I, I think he kind of stopped doing shows for a while. Right. Right. Um, and why did you get kicked out of the Cubby Bear? Is there a story behind that? Um, there's, there is a story. It's kind of a dumb story. Mm -hmm. Um, good. So, <laughs> so we were doing shows. The first place I started doing shows with Sean was Cubby Beer. And, um, Sue Miller was actually working there at the time. Okay. She was still managing the place. I was right before Lori was managing right. it. Um, and, uh, we were doing shows there and they were like, yeah, yeah. These hardcore shows, these metal shows you guys are doing, that's all fine and good. But um, we want better shows. We want real shows. Now, <laughs> I'm like, they are real shows. Yeah. Um, so at the time, I don't know if you remember, there was a guy, they hired a, a guy, um, Brad Altman, to book the place. Okay. And I think that Brad was maybe, you know, in george the owner's ear about us you know i can do a better job they're not bringing you better shows um and i remember one occasion came up where we were going to do peter himmelman hmm. and we went ahead and did and i and we went ahead and did we held we held the metro the park west and the cubby bear they were all about the same size at the time and the show ended up going to park west building we owned hmm. and um they called me up on the phone one day and they said, hey, we're not happy about this, that this show didn't didn't go to us. And I said, well, guys, you know, listen, I love your room. I like working with you guys. Um, but I'll be honest with you. You know, we own this two things. One, we own this building. Right. They ha it has to be my first priority because of that. Um, we're thankful for our relationship with you guys, but they also didn't want to play there. They wanted to play Park West. They wanted a place with some seats. Right. And that's the, that's the truth. And they basically said, you know, okay, go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. You're out. 
your shows, the shows you have on sale are canceled and get out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we had like two more shows can, uh, booked there and Sean and I scrambled and we talked to Dave Medusa and um, either or Lori did. Maybe Lori talked to him for us. I don't hmm. remember. Um, I think we I think Sean may have talked to Dave. Sean and I talked to Dave and he was like, sure, bring him here because, you know, they were all ages shows anyway. We didn't right. care if there was alcohol being sold or not. And uh, quite honestly, Medusa's was a better spot than the cubby bear for these things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There were no cub games to interfere with us or any of that right. bullshit. So yeah. <clears throat> go right around the get some donuts at pumpkin donuts. Yeah. Sure. Sure. If you want. If you want. All right, Gabe. Gabe's feeling confident, but I don't think he should. Uh-oh. No, no, no. I, I'm feeling good about this one. And you may have heard us ask the guests but this before, but you're on a desert island. You can only listen to one band, their whole collection of music, while you're on this desert island. Between two bands, you had to pick one. The Replacements or Iron Maiden? Oh, easy. Replacements. <laughs> You thought you had that in the bag, didn't you, Gabe? Easy. I look, look, I love, I love Iron Maiden as much as the next guy, but you know, I mean, there's, there's more for me with the replacements, and you know, as much as I like Iron Maiden, well, Paul Diano's, I thought he was great, but, um, but Bruce Dickinson, it just gets to me, you know. <laughs> Just you know, it's a little operatic for me. I mentioned this on the podcast. There are some people of a certain age, between like fifty and sixty, maybe mm-hmm. forty-eight, that really relish the Paul Deanna era, and they they got on with Number of the Beast. As soon as they hit Power Slave, they're out. I think you're one of those guys. Well, I like Power Slave. I mean, I, yeah, look, but after I, Power I, Slave, that that was it. There's no more Maiden for you. Maybe. Well, there kind of isn't, Gabe. No, there's. Listen, somewhere in time's not. It's not. They're prime filling maiden. arenas. Really that, that's that they were filling arenas, and I saw them on that tour, and they were fantastic. But I, I mean, know. today, today they're all a worldwide phenomenon. Rehashing somewhere in time. Look how look how heated Gabe is getting. <laughs> hey Nick. Yes. Did you ever book enough's enough? Uh, we did book enough's enough. Before yeah. you get to this, I want to talk about this Bruce Dickinson book tour. Okay. Was that at oh, the Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was at the Vic. Okay. Yes. Tell us about that night. Um, I'll be real honest with you. I didn't watch much of the show. Uh-huh. But I hung out with Bruce uh-huh. after the show, and he was fucking great. Okay. Awesome, awesome guy. Um, Some people that you and I know snuck backstage. Oh, I heard about this, yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> This was after I left. Um, mm-hmm. They had snuck backstage. I was nice enough to put them in an opera box, but they didn't have passes for backstage. And they kind of bullied and bullshitted their way backstage after I left. And I heard all about it. And I was not happy about that. No. No. I mean, what did Bruce do? Did they uh, make their Bruce, way to him? Yeah, they did. And and he was uncomfortable. And I heard about it a little bit from tour manager and, you know, but, you know, they're look, he's a guy's an old hand at this stuff. So right. he knows what to do. It was just I think it was just unexpected. Yeah. That, you know, two two middle aged gals, you know, 
who weren't feeling like they were middle-aged at the time. No, no they were not, probably. S- sashayed backstage to try and get with Bruce. Well, they're lucky they didn't get the end of his sword, if you know what I mean. Yeah, right, yeah. And that's not a euphemism for once. <laughs> Maybe Mick can help with this question that we've been asking for years. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, this is going to be good. I think I yeah. know where you're going. Yes, yeah, I do too. And if so anybody might know, Nick might have a, a, a handle on this. How do you pronounce the band from Chicago that starts with a Z and ends with trope? E trope. Yes, but how, <laughs> is it E trope? But why is it, it E trope? Why is be- it Zoe trope? I believe the Z is silent. I believe it's E trope. <laughs> it but, is. But, but who? But what, in what world is there a silent Z? Barry told me it's E trope. <laughs> Everybody yes, knows it's but E-trope, why? but why and how? Oh, I don't know why. I, I don't know why. I don't know the etymology of that word and, and the pronunciation of it, but I just know it's E-trope. I mean, Francis Ford Coppola's film company is not called American E-trope. It's called American Zoetrope. Zoetrope? Zoetrope. Is it Goethe? Is it Goethe or is it Gothi? Oh okay. well, but 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 that's not the same as a silent Z that that starts a word. I suppose, yeah. I mean, uh, is it like I, a yeah, it's, Mexican it's, G, I suppose. I don't get like, out of here. I, like I said, <laughs> I mean, not Mexican, I'm not aware of the Spanish. etymology. <laughs> not sure. Uh, all right, so let's let's do a what's the best. What's the best? We do this thing around here called what's the best, and uh, mm-hmm. we thought we'd do best shows you ever saw. Okay. Now this is. This was not easy for me. I'm imagining it was really not easy for you. Not easy. Um, Very challenging. I mean, I've seen more shows than most people. (laughs) Than we've had hot meals. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So I decided to pick three from being a teenager. All right. Great. So we're going to go one at a time. Okay. Uh, you're going to go first. Who goes? Ben goes second. Ben, this is probably really easy for you because you've seen only three shows, right? <laughs> easy does it there, sister. Okay. And then <laughs> I'll go third and Gabe goes last. So hopefully I can steal some of Gabe's. Okay. I, can I guess what, what you're going to do, Gabe? No, you can't guess it. Can't guess it. Iron You're Maiden, Rocket from it. the Crypt. You can't guess it. Okay, go, go ahead. Who's first? What's the best? Uh, so first one is uh, I'll say Neil Young, Russ Never Sleeps tour, Chicago wow. Stadium, October, nineteen seventy-eight. Wow! Mind blowing. That, that must have been incredible. Mm-hmm. So that's the one where the, all the the Druids came out and. and mm-hmm. The Huge. Jawas. Yeah. <laughs> the Jawas. It was Star Wars Jawas is what they actually were. Right. I didn't want to get anybody in trouble, but yes, they were Jawas, right? Yeah. 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 Short guys. Short guys. Yeah. He started the, sh- he start, opened the show. So they had, you know, the deal, the set pieces were gigantic fender tweed amps with gigantic road cases on top of them. Uh huh. So they flew a road case off of one of them. And Neil Young was laying down on top of, like, the mocked-up tweed Fender Deluxe. Right. And he's got an acoustic guitar with him. 
The show just starts with that coming up, and he stands up and he starts playing Sugar Mountain Ooh. on acoustic. Dude. And uh, he he played, I can probably look up the set list, but he opened with Sugar Mountain, played a few more acoustic songs, and then he said, when I grow up, I'm gonna get myself an electric guitar. Uh-huh. And he uh, he laid down like on this thing and the Jawas came out and they dragged him off. And there was like a short little, everything was dark, you know, lights, house lights were down, everything was down. And then like a minute later, he and Crazy Horse right. run from behind the mock-up amps. And what did they start with? I want to say it was Cinnamon Girl, but I don't remember if it was Cinnamon Girl. It wasn't, it wasn't Russ Never Sleeps? Uh, no, I could, I'll look it up. I don't okay. know if it matters. Does it matter? Want me to look no, it up? No, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> but they came out and blazing, like just blazing guitars. It was just fucking awesome. Um, and were I was you, super stoked. At, were you? <laughs> were you at that show where uh, Sonic Youth opened up and it, it, yeah, the huge oh, yeah. storm? Yeah, Arc. Those, yeah. The, those are the Arc shows. Yeah. That's yeah, that was cool. fun. That was really good. Those are great, actually. Very cool. Yeah, I remember you got me into that solo show. It was just oh, him at Chicago, Chicago Theater. Theater. Yeah. yeah. And he came out and started playing Helpless, and I just broke down in tears. So it was just like, I mm-hmm. couldn't believe it. It was great. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing show. Good one. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. Who? Who's next? Ben? Okay. Yes, sure. I will go next. Uh, I was... Uh, uh, grew up in Brooklyn, New York, as some of you may know. 1980, I was 14 years old. My sister Barbara In 1980, was... he was 14 years old. <laughs> Sing it. My sister Barbara was 12. We had become obsessed with the uh, album The River that had just come out. Oh, no. I think we both had our own copies of it. Uh, and uh, Bruce Springsteen was playing in Madison Square Garden on December 18th, 1980. We somehow, we didn't have tickets. It was sold out. But we convinced our dad to drive us into Manhattan, drive us over to Madison Square Garden, which he did. Somehow got a parking space, took us out. We stood in front of the garden for a while, trying to get tickets from scalpers. Uh, there was nothing doing. And then he saw a woman come up out of the subway and he, uh, she, she, I don't know if she had tickets in her hand or something, but he walked over to her and it turned out she had two extra tickets on the floor of Madison Square Garden. She sold them to him for $20 a pop. So for $20 each, my sister and I. That's and, a lot of and, money. Yeah, yeah. It was at the time. I can't remember what the wow. what the face. What, I, I she think, scalped you. I know. I think that they might have been $20 tickets. I think that the, I think she sold them for face value. But still, it's like, what? okay. Really? Yeah, 19, I don't know. I'll look at it. Maybe in it was 1980. At the, the garden. Hell does this guy think he is? He's not a man of the people. Well, okay. Yeah, okay. 20 bucks. Calm That's down, crazy. everybody. <laughs> so, so and it was my, a good show. But my dad, you know, he didn't get a ticket for himself. He didn't want to go, but he sat out in the car all night while we, while my sister and I went in. It's two kids. And That's what we you like, think he did. Yeah, well, that you don't right. know and what he did. That's true. He did not. We don't know what he did. But he was back at the car when we got out three and a half hours later. I looked it up just now. The set list. He played thirty-five songs. There were two sets. 
I remember. Now, if you're going to have to wait in the car for your kids for during any band, you hope it's not Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. right. Especially if it's cold outside. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or if you're going to get dragged in, you hope it's not the Grateful Dead. Okay. Ever. I'm going to go with a local show. I'm going to bring it back to Chicago. Yeah, sure. uh, Screaming Trees at the Metro. In oh. 96. That was. We had just finished finished a show at Double Door. You remember this, Gabe? Yes. <laughs> Why do you say it like that? I think we had to load out because you had to go to the show and just go That's see right. Mr. Trees. I played the last note. I said, I hopped in a cab, went across town, got there just in time. And Mark Lanigan basically threatened the entire, he threatened to beat up the entire audience. It was, it was great. <laughs> and then afterwards, I was downstairs in Smart Bar, and there was a huge line for the bathroom. And he walks in, and he had Josh from, from Queens. This was before Queens. And I was like, who's the roadie? And he grabs him, and he's, he's, he's like, yeah, go ahead. My boy's going to take a piss, and none of you are going to do anything about it. And so I was like, hey, there's a line here. He's like, shut up. And Josh was just horrified, and it was pretty funny. Not that they didn't have a private bathroom in their dressing room upstairs. Nothing doing. Nothing doing, man. It wasn't that kind of night for Mark Lanigan. Oh, my God. I mean, you've probably worked with Mark a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the first time? Uh, I don't actually remember the first time. I never really talked to him much, though. No. Scary guy. Yeah, just, you know, I, look, I like to leave people alone unless they're really outgoing or unless I'm a super fan and I have to, like, go say hi or something. Right. But, you know, well, I mean, if someone does really well, I'll go obviously make an appearance and go say hi and thank you, of course. Right. I mean, so. you're, you're probably over it by now, right? No. <laughs> oh, You're over this a, whole thing. Not at all. No, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right, Gabe, what do you got? By the way, it is Glenn Friedman from uh, VVX. It is Glenn, right, yeah. It was. And Glenn I can't Friedman, believe I remembered yes. it in my head. Well you don't done. Know how many, you don't know how many days I sat next to the I can't believe you can't believe waiting, it. Waiting to record the next Metallica song that they played from when Master Puppet came out. You know, it, it was... VVX was the thing back in the day. The uh, the Blaze was another one, I think, out of Milwaukee, I think. No, the Blaze was here. Was it? That okay. came that came a little later. The one out of Milwaukee yeah. was QFM. Yeah, QFM. Okay, mm. yeah. But, Nick, you don't know how many jam shows I've been to in my life. I mean, you, you probably were part of a hundred shows. Those guitars of, on of, the wall are courtesy of Gabe Rodriguez's <laughs> Blood Money. <laughs> Uh, I could say three of them are not. <laughs> uh, my favorite show. I'm going to go with my favorite. Uh, March 28th, 1992, Pearl Jam at the Metro. Ooh, oh. I knew you were going to go with that, yeah. That was a good show. That was, that was... I booked that one, too. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, that was a, that was, was a busy fall for you. Oh, yeah. That, that fall. But no, uh, they Nick, recorded it. You. They simulcasted it on oh, XRT. They played that XRT like that night or maybe the next day. Uh, started with Release, one of my favorite songs, and uh, it was just a great time to be around live music in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, they were blowing up. They were way too big for the Metro, and so was their sound stuff that they brought in. It, it was just an amazing show. Yeah. I think I think I threw up on the way out. That's how that's how good it was. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't awesome. think I don't think anybody spoke for a half an hour after that show. Remember that? Right. Yeah, we all migrated or, or pilgrimaged from Zion, like a carload of people, probably five or six of us. Didn't say a word on the way home. That was just like our, our ears were ringing. And it was just an amazing show. We're like, what the hell did we just see? Did we just yeah. see that? Yes, we did. Yeah, you guys really creeped me out on that ride home. <laughs> I was like, well, are we going to ever start talking? What's going on here? <laughs> I was sick. I was. That show was so good. I was so dehydrated. I was sweating so much. I think I lost so much water. And I had to pull over and I went to a bathroom and, and it was like... I, was I almost so... got trampled at that show. I almost didn't get up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah really? Crazy. Oh, yeah. Leaving? Like no, like, like, I, you know, I was, in, we were in the front row and it just got crazy. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get out of here. And, you know, right. crowd surfed back and went down. And then it was like, I'm like, oh, caught in a mosh. This is going to happen. And <laughs> I'm not getting out. And finally someone goes, hey, somebody's down here. And pulled me up. I was like, oh, God. Those were the days before barricades. Yes. And it, we did not were, have barricades. There was the uh, steps. I was like right in front of the steps, and mm-hmm. and what's his name was was sitting on the steps. Uh, was it Gooch? Oh, uh, no, he was working with the pumpkins by then. Well, the pumpkins were there, so maybe he was there. On stage? Yeah, they came out for the encore, and they played a. Uh, oh, maybe. I got a oh. feeling. Oh, I forgot about that. Huh? I was probably getting raked over the coals by a tour manager in the back office at that point. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Good pick, Gabe. Yeah. Did I, I take yours? I, I, no, but I was thinking you were going to do that one. I, I know you've at least got, it's either Maiden or Metallica. I'm thinking there's got to be Rock from the Crypt in there, but I, I figured you might go with Pearl Jam. All right. Nick, what do you got? Um, I've got uh, Devo at the Aragon. Wow. July 12th of 1980. Wow. Freedom of Choice, Freedom of Choice Tour. That Now that's because I was going to ask you if Devo was opening the Neil Young show that you saw. Uh, no, there was. I don't think there was an opener at that Neil Young show. Because apparently that's where Russ Never Sleeps came from. He took that from, from Devo. From Devo? Yeah. Yeah. They would go on stage and go, it's time to go on stage. Russ never sleeps. Well, that was, you know, 78 was the, when Devo was first big, you know, putting records out. So maybe, um, but um, anyway, I don't think anyone opened that Neil Young show. But, right. So my next one is Devo. And it was, they were incredible. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. Right. Just changed your brain? Did. Um, it was seats back when the Aragon was all seats on the floor. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, the Aragon used to have seats. In fact, Gabe, yeah. if you saw Pearl Jam at the Aragon, which is probably the next show they played in Chicago. No, play we saw it at the Metro. He's talking about the Metro. No, yeah, no, but, but the next back, show. They came back with Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Smashing Pumpkins. Right, yes. At the Aragon. At the Aragon. Oh. That show had chairs. It did? Yes. And it was... The, and the barricade, the barricade, was this wooden horses. Um, <laughs> it was just, it was, actually, they were, it was actually, I take that back. They weren't wooden horses. It was like plywood uh, bolted to like this tube metal structure that was their barricade. I mean, it was a joke. Um, 
but they had chairs and when the show started during Pearl Jam they were systematically everyone was systematically folding the chairs and handing them back over everyone's head and they piled them all they ended up in a gigantic pile at the back of the main floor right and that was it never no chairs ever again and then we started going going i don't think we have chairs here anymore and we need to find a real barricade <laughs> yeah, you gotta get barricades the 90s oh yeah a big pain in the ass for everybody wasn't it it was a learning curve uh-huh. music was changing a little bit right so at least bit. the audience was changing the audience was right yes so ben what yes, do you got no, what what'd you say no i said no the, the deep show was just amazing my blog what did i start off with uh, I think they started off with the freedom, the freedom of choice theme. Right. Yeah. It's a good one. Beautiful. It's a good one. I was on a double date. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Work out okay. Worked out okay. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> Summertime, New York City in the 1980s. Picture um, the scene. Picture it. My garbage on the streets yes my friends and i used to line up all day long like six or seven times a summer to see these shows uh on the pier pier 84 i think which was actually like 42nd 44th street something called the, they called it the dr pepper festival they had an outdoor stage and we saw everybody there adam and the ants and uh we i think we were seeing split ends that Ooh. night and then but there was a band whose album i had just bought on cassette and was totally into and they were playing at irving plaza that night so after the split end show i said let's go to irving plaza and see this other band and nobody wanted to come so i went by myself and i think i just walked into irving plaza i don't think there were tickets left but i somehow just snuck in and i saw the replacements for the first time and changed my life i saw them at least two times every tour since but the concert that i want to call out i think we've talked about before in the show was one of their reunion shows um i went back to new york and saw them in queens at the forest hills tennis stadium and and new york i have to say for the most part is not a great city to see shows because everyone's so fucking jaded and people usually just sort of stand around and wait for the band to impress them or something but that night in 2014 i think it was september of 2014 Everybody at Forest Hills was singing along to every song. It was like the, it was the replacement show in New York that I'd never seen before, like with a, a crowd that wasn't afraid to sort of be excited about the show and to participate in the show. And so it was great. Great night. Replacements, reunion tour, Forest Hills 2014. Well, you, Nick, you probably worked that reunion tour at the, what was it at? It was at, at the, the Vic. I think I saw two nights. Was it the Vic or Chicago? The well, what, what they the did rib, the first the rib, time was the they rib, the first time they did it, it was Riot Fest. Right. right, I saw that too. So they did Riot Fest, then and they came back and played the Rev for two nights. Yes. Yeah, those are good shows. They were great. Paul, well, did, I think had I, like I, a tent. He brought a tent on stage. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had Leon Bridges playing the Green Mill across the street for the very first time. The wow. first night. You do a lot of shows there? I don't do a lot of shows there. Um, I have to ask Dave if he's cool with letting me do stuff, but I've done a couple really amazing ones, which not the least of which was the two nights I did with Jeff Buckley there. Wow. Which were crazy. Anyway, that's different. That's a story for a different time, I guess. But No, I don't think so. 
This is the time. This is the time. Well, that's not. Well, that's got not at least my next, one more pick. That, that, oh, okay. That's not. That's not my pick. <laughs> right, but, but although that's you know, here's the deal about this for me. Yeah. That mountaintop is fucking huge, because I got a zillion of these that are all <laughs> same caliber, mind blowing. You know, late night print shows. Yeah. Joni Mitchell at Alpine Valley. I mean, just crazy shit. I, all kinds of stuff I could cite. So it's very difficult for me to pick three shows. Right. But anyway, back to the my theme is. Anyway, we digress with that. Jeff well, that's that's, that's good. This this is this is meant to spark digressions. Yes. Okay. Um, I actually called Michael Cameron about the very first Jeff Buckley show. Uh huh. I got him that show. Yeah. Because he just wanted to play somewhere for free. And we couldn't charge because they didn't have a PPA. So Jeff Buckley played for, you know, passing the hat. That very first, that legendary first time at uh, Uncommon Ground. That's the story. Really? <clears throat> yep. Because I never heard about that. Oh, yeah. You don't know about the show? They no. do like the... They do like this anniversary show at Metro with it. They've done it for years. I don't know if they still do it, but. So the first show Jeff Buckley plays in Chicago is at Uncommon Ground. Yes. And February Pass in the hat. Yeah, because they didn't have a PPA. They wanted to play. What's his a PPA? Agent called, uh, oh, a, a, place of, a place of public amusement license. Okay. It's the license that allows you to charge right. for a show. Um, but his agent called me up and said, well, I had had this live at Shanae EP that someone from uh, Columbia had sent me. You know, I was like, this is amazing. This guy's crazy. Um, and his agent calls me up and says, um, he wants to play a coffee house. I'm like, oh, I got just a spot for you. And <clears throat> he's like, yeah, like in a couple of weeks, he wants to do this. So I called Michael Cameron, who I knew over there, and I said, hey, um, I got this artist. His name's Jeff Buckley. He's amazing. He's put out the CP. Um, and uh, he's looking for a coffee house to play. I mean, would you do this? And he was he was super receptive to it. I don't know if he knew who he was. I don't think he knew right. who he was at the time. Um, so I just kind of connected him with, uh, with Don, who's uh, Jeff's agent. And they worked it out. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't rent the place and put on a show because I can't charge anything because right. <laughs> there's no license to do that. So he worked it out for him to play there. And I, I'm, you know, played for tips. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a, do you know what he wound up with in tips? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. What All right. do you got, Scotty? Here's a good one. Uh, Grinderman at uh, Metro. Oh! Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. That was a good one. Very good. I mean, you know, and I, I watched it from the from the sound booth. So, you know, that's the best place to see anything. Yes, it is. And if you're going to watch Nick Cave, it was like, I mean, that was one of those shows that like, it was like going to school, like where you just go, that's what you should be doing. That's how you perform. That's how you play for people. And, and you know, and I love that record. And, and... They only did two tours for the, with yeah. that band, right? The second one was at Riv. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we were we were running late, and, and we got to the door, and as we were walking in, 
they were walking in. The entire band was walking in from across the street. They had all gotten gone to get hot dogs at, at Wrigleyville Dog. And they're walking by, they're like, hey, man. And they're eating their dogs. And they just went up on stage. And that was it. That's crazy. Like, well, that's pretty good. Gabe? That's good. Do you, have you ever seen a band eat a hot dog and then rock? No, I've probably seen them throw up after eating a hot dog, but... Okay. Uh, Let's see. I am going to pick a record from the Crip Show. Probably oh, what one a from Lounge X. Which one? Lounge X. The Lounge X one, huh? You remember back in the mid-90s when the headliner at Lounge X would go on at 1 in the morning? They can make you wait all night to, to see him? Yes. I, I think, I don't know why they did that. And we all had to work the next day if it was, you know, a Sunday or any other day. Shut up. You sound like these people on our Facebook page. I, I don't like them, <laughs> and I don't like you talking like this. I'm old now, and I'm tired, but... Uh-huh. Uh, they did a free tour. I don't know if you remember the Hot I Cherry record. That. Yeah. They did a whole tour that was free. And I think they made us wait forever for that one. They said, fuck you guys. I don't care. You didn't pay. I'm going to go on <laughs> when I want to go on. Free. Exactly. And John Reese is dancing in the crowd for like a half hour to the to the music that was going on. And I'm like, come on. We got to work. <laughs> uh, but they rocked the house and uh, one of the best live bands ever. And... Uh, Packed house, lounge X. I mean, what else do you need? Now, yeah, we have seen Rock from the Crypt tons of times, and that's the one. I think you. so. I remember because Joe was, you know, we were all standing there. We we're all waiting in anticipation <coughs> of this show. What, what, watching the band and the crowd just dancing to the music. Well, you know, when you know they got to go on stage, you see them right there. Let's go. And then they started rocking after that. It was just loud and live, and that's where you want to be when, you know, with live music, you want to feel the sweat off the band. You're right there. So, well, the small John Reese can sweat. <laughs> He's a really good sweater. You remember that uh, Drive Like Jehu show? I was standing right next to him because, like, Lounge Jacks would have those little step ups on the on the side of the right, next yeah, to the like wall. Bleachers. Yeah, yeah, bleachers. Yeah. <laughs> and if you got to stand on the one that was right next to the stage, you're basically, you know. Eye to eye with Stand, who's ever standing on stage. On stage right, yeah. yes. And he sweated all over me that night. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. I remember this, but there we go. That was my. And they, listen, I saw him a few years ago uh, in Austin, Texas, at a small little. They were doing an after show. Uh, I think, what, what's that? Texas Fest? Is it? Fun, fuck, fun, fun. Psych, psych Fest? No, I think it's Fun, Fun, Fun Fest. Or oh, fun, fuck, fun, fuck Yeah, yeah Fest. Yeah. Fun, fun, fun festival. Okay, and they played afterwards, and it was probably the best I've ever seen them. It, it was, it was great. Still got it, John yeah. Reese. You've done a lot of John Reese shows, right, Nick? No. No, really? No. No, I think we've done Rocket from the Crypt once. And Didn't go well. Were, or maybe they're no, no, no. It was fine. <laughs> Just you know, but they would play like Pursue at Lounge Jacks. Yeah. Direct, you know. So. So that. The, it's back to, are we back Nick. to the top? Nick? To me? Yeah, we're back to you. Um, so my last, my last one <clears throat> is a good one. It has a pretty fun story too. Um, my last one is September 10, 1980, uh, Pretenders at Shrack Auditorium on the campus of SIU in Carbondale. Two days before my 18th birthday, I was 17. Um, the opening act was the English Beat. Wow. Mm, it was so the Pretenders' very first U.S. tour. 
Wow. It was the English Beast's very first U.S. tour also as the opening act. And um, <clears throat> I will say um, the entire, this is the September, so I'll say the six months before that, um, when I got the first Pretenders record um, and I was, you know, learning how to play guitar, um, I completely became enamored of James Honeyman Scott uh -huh. and his guitar playing. And um, I probably drove my, whoever's still living in my house at the time, my mom and dad, because I'm the youngest. <clears throat> my, my sister, one of my sisters was still living at home. Um, <clears throat> but taking the needle, trying to learn all these cool guitar parts, trying to figure out what he was doing because none of it made sense to me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, I was like a huge fan, huge fan. Anyway, <clears throat> so um, I'd probably been at school for a week or two when they announced the show, slept out, got tickets, and the day of the show, um, I'm coming home from my last class <clears throat> and I'm walking behind. I don't know if you know where Shrek is located. It's, you know, like right by the music building, but it's a, it's a I don't know how big is Shrek. It's got to be 1,200 seat theater, uh -huh. um, reserve seats. Anyway, I walk in the back and I see the loading doors open. And I have another story about Bob Marley, which I can tell another time. Right, Bob Marley, about poet and prophet. About learning how to sneak. <laughs> Don't start that. About learning how to sneak into shows. Um, so, it's probably I don't know. It's like two or three o'clock in the afternoon at my last class, and I walk up this loading door. I go up the stairs. I walk in. Nobody's around. Right. I walk. I walk onto the stage. All the gear is set up. I'm looking at James Honeyman Scott's three boss pedals that he had. Oh. <laughs> I'm looking at his marshals. I'm like, wow, no one's here. I'm walking around, <laughs> just this dumb student who's a massive fan of this band. So I'm walking backstage <clears throat> and I hear there's this door, uh, there's a room with a door open and I hear clink, clink. I'm like, I know what that sound is. Yeah. That's somebody cutting guitar strings. Right. So I knock on the door and I go, hello. And the guy, this guy goes, hey, come in. <laughs> it's this English guy. He's in there with all of their guitars Chrissy's Telecasters, all of James' guitars, Pete Farndon's basses. And I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> I said, oh, cool. You're tuning guitars. Changing strings, he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm the, I, I'm the guitar tech. I said, oh, I, and I just told the guy, I said, I have tickets to the show tonight. I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan. I'm a particularly huge fan of James, and I've been trying to learn his guitar style. And you know, just he goes, oh, he goes, well, come over, sit down, man. He goes, let me show you some stuff. I'm like, okay. So I sit on this road case. He starts pulling out James Honeyman Scott's guitars. He goes, check this one out. You know, he had two custom Zamatis guitars, uh, a Red Hamer, his Black Les Paul, a White Strat, and he's just handing them to me. You want to try it? I'm like, <laughs> sure. Right. I could not believe it. I mean, I didn't think about I think about it now. It's insane. At the time, I just thought, what a cool guy. 
Um, because, you know, I was going to be completely respectful, obviously, but he's letting me play all of his guitars right there. And I'm just, after a while, I was like, well, okay, I got to go now. Right. He goes, <laughs> well, he goes, he goes, come back, come back after the show. I'm like, I will. I'm thinking to myself, how the fuck am I going to do that? Yeah. So I leave. I go back to the dorm. I tell my buddies, I'm like, you're not going to believe what just happened. <laughs> And I tell them the story, they're like, especially this one guitar player friend of mine, he's like, no fucking way. I'm like, dude, I'm not kidding. So we go to the show. The show is mind-boggling. I mean, it is so fucking great. They lost the floor right away. So, you know, I was at, they lost the aisles. And even though I was in row, I think it was in row I, I have my ticket stub around here somewhere. Um, I'm like, right, I pushed right to the front so I could stand in front of him and watch him the whole night and like look at him like see try and see what he was doing yeah it was such a fucking geek festival for me and then after the show everyone leaves and I go sit outside and I'm um, kind of you know waiting around all of a sudden people sit, oh, there's a couple of people waiting around with me to like say hi to the band maybe and I see him walk in with a girl James Hunton Scott. He must have been on the bus or something and then walked back in to go backstage. So once everyone was kind of like petering out, I just waited and waited and waited and waited. Everyone else left and I just walked in the back door. Well, I'd already been backstage. I knew where the drinking fountain was. I knew where everything was. So I walked back there like I know exactly what I'm doing. I go over, take a drink of water. I'm like, ooh, looking around, taking it to look like <laughs> somebody going to bust me? Somebody going to kick me out of here? I, you know, people right. have passes on. I don't have any credentials. And suddenly I see my guitar tech friend. He's like, Jack, come on. Did you meet the band? I'm like, no. He goes, come meet Jimmy. Uh, sat and talked to Jim James Honeyman Scott for like I don't know a half an hour just about guitars about technique about his theory about what he you know what he wants to do and then I, I met Chrissy and, and Martin and, and Pete I, I didn't really you know it was like hi hi oh you guys are amazing what a great show but I was just hanging with James Honeyman Scott the whole time and right. then finally you know it was time to go they were like we're gonna go I was like thanks you know just left on cloud nine and the, and you know the show is not the least of it either the show is right out of this world so that's um that might be why i do this <laughs> i bet that yeah. might be the reason why i'm in this line of work i don't know yeah did but you get on. did you get to do uh jeff beck did you get to geek out with Jeff Beck at all? Yeah, you did a couple shows with him, right? Um, I I met him on one of our shows. Um, I went to I've been to lots of Jeff Beck shows. In fact, it was a very tough me not picking Jeff Beck at the SIU Arena about a month after that Pretender show. Yeah, but um, but I didn't meet him there. I I met him when we were you know at Jam. I met him at a show. Um, and then, well, a few years later, he decided he wanted to do a club tour. Uh-huh. So I got the call. He wanted to do two nights at Park West. I was like, yeah. yeah. So I uh, I booked these two shows with Jeff back at Park West. And um, the night of the first show, um, his manager was there, um, Harvey Goldsmith, manager at the time. Not He wasn't his manager anymore these last shows. 
but uh, he was friends with Jerry because he was a British promoter. He knew Jerry, my boss, Jerry. And uh, first show was amazing. I went and said hi to Jeff, you know, just hi um, mm. and nothing else. And then Jerry goes, hey, we're going to go to Toko for dinner. Come to dinner with us at Toko, which was, I don't know if you remember Toko. Yeah, Do you remember totally. the park yeah. on Milwaukee there? Um, and I'm like, uh, I'm not going to that. He goes, why not? I said, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I was freaking out. I'm like, I can't go sit and have dinner with Jeff Beck. That's going to be too weird for me. <laughs> yeah. So, we, <laughs> so he goes, well, can you at least ride one of the buses and guide him there? I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. So I get on one of the buses and I'm sitting in the front seat with Vinnie Caliuta, who, do you know Vinnie Caliuta, drummer? I don't know. Amazing, amazing, amazing jazz drummer. He's played with Zappa. Uh, he's played with all kinds of guys. He's just fucking insane, and he's hilarious. Uh, so I'm guiding, I'm you know guiding him down into Wicker Park. He's telling me all these funny stories while we're going, and um, we're just kind of both cutting up actually about stuff. And then we get there, and he goes, "I get my bag, and I'm like, I'll see you later." He goes, "You're not coming to dinner with us?" I go, no, no, man, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go. He's like, really? Come on. I go, yeah, yeah, I, I think I gotta go. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I couldn't go have dinner with Jeff Oh, Beck. you didn't do it. So, <laughs> get off the bus, everyone walks into the restaurant. I took about five steps, and I'm like, are you fucking stupid? Yeah. Go in there and go have dinner with Jeff Beck, you asshole. So, <laughs> so you did it. I, I turn around, I go into the restaurant. <clears throat> They're like, oh, you're trying this great. I'm like, yeah, 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 I haven't tried that. I'm like, I haven't tried this place yet. Oh, I don't know. I said <laughs> something stupid, something dumb. So I sit down and Jerry and Harvey are at some other table with some other dude. And I'm sitting with the band. Band is Jeff, Tal Wilkenfeld, the bass player. Um, Nick, I forgot the keyboard player's name. Um, Jan Hammer. Who's next to me. Not Jan Hammer. Uh, and then Vinny Caliuta, who's sitting next to me. So I'm talking to Vinny more. He's telling me these crazy stories about Frank Zappa, which is uh-huh. awesome. Um, but I'm not really talking to Jeff. He's kind of kitty corner for me. So finally, the conversation turns, and Jeff's like, oh my God, this show is so amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is this show? And no one's heard of this show, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, I look at Jeff and I'm like, what about the episode with blah, blah? He's like, that's great. So immediately this touchstone right. for Jeff Beck and myself is curb your enthusiasm. Yeah. And we start just telling everyone about it. He and I are cracking up. And then the whole conversation's open at the table. And I'm, I'm having dinner and having fun with the band and talking to Jeff Beck, which is still freaking me out. So <clears throat> next day, um, I go to Best Buy on my lunch hour and I went and bought all five, the five seasons were out. So I bought five seasons on DVD. I bought this cool Coltrane box set. I I thought he might like that. And um, I showed up early at Park West the next day and he's warming up in the dressing room upstairs there. I knock on the door, I'm like, hey, he goes, oh, hi. I said, hey, I said, I was super inspired by our conversation last night. So I decided to bring you something. He's like, oh. What did you do? So I, I show him, I go, so you can educate your bandmates the first five seasons of Curb. He goes, oh my God, this is great. And then I gave him the 
Coltrane box set. And uh, and he said he doesn't like Coltrane. No, he's like, oh, this is awesome. So we're just hanging out, talking, and and just goofing around. And um, <laughs> I wasn't going to tell this this part of the story, but now that he's gone, I'm going to just tell it now. So I said to him, I got to ask you one favor, though. He goes, what's the favor? Um, I said, I want you to sign. I never ask anyone to do this, but I'm going to ask you to sign something for me. And he goes, what is it? I said, I have this 1970 Les Paul Custom that is my number one guitar. I play it every day. I played it every day for years. And uh, I want you to sign the pick guard. Yeah. He goes, I'm assuming you have it on you. I said, yes, yes. I have it. <laughs> so I, I go in the next room, which is the office, and I bring in the pick guard. <clears throat> he takes it. He sets it down, takes the pen, like this paint pen I brought. I go, no, 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 no. I said, not on top. I go, underneath. <laughs> yeah. I go, sign it underneath. I said, that way, only you and I will know it's there. He's like, oh, that's so great. So <laughs> that guitar is. right there yeah. has Jeff Beck's signature under the pick guard. But, uh, and the next that show was mind blowing too. It was great. Anyway. That story is a roller coaster, man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I thought you were so going to go in the restaurant. I was so disappointed I, in you. I, I did. And Toko was fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh, my God. That place is great. Good stuff. Now it's up in Winnetka. Still great. Oh, I, I have to make a trip. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Anyway, so I took up everyone's time here. What's up? No, that's that's <laughs> what we wanted. This is, that's great. That's great. What a great Who's story. next? Uh, okay. Oh, me. Right. Uh, uh, I first saw this band. They were opening for the Hoodoo Gurus at the Ritz in maybe 87 or something. I'd never heard of them, but I walked in. and I, oh, I, I, I don't really make it a habit of getting there in time to see opening bands a lot. Oh, that's because you're a terrible, awful man. Yeah. Well, Ben, were you, were you going to see the Hoodoo Gurus or going to see the opener? I was going to see the Hoodoo Gurus. Okay, cool. Love them. But I walked in and... This band was playing, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And fell in love with them. Red Cross. Oh uh, yes. The McDonald Brothers doing their like syn- synchronized hair swinging. Uh, just loved them. Uh, everything about them. Became obsessed. Bought their bought that album right away. It was Neurotica that they were touring off of. And then a couple of years later, they came out with Third Eye, and they were playing at. Um, uh, Maxwell's in Hoboken, which was like the best club and the worst club, like just the most painfully small, crowded and insanely loud with these subwoofers that you just every time you went to a show there, you felt like you were getting punched in the stomach all night. And, like you would walk out of the out of the venue, just like like you'd been beaten up by the yep. by the by the subwoofers. Um, great place, though. Great, great place. Maxwell's is awesome. Great yeah. place. Great mashed potatoes. Right. Mm. <laughs> so so they played that night, and I just looked up their set list because uh, I couldn't quite remember, but I just remember the show being fantastic. They ended their set with rock and roll, Led Zeppelin cover. Then they came out for their first encore and did Go Your Own Way. Mm. Then they followed that with the theme from Good Times. Mm. <laughs> then they followed that with Deuce, the Kiss cover. Okay. Yeah. And then they came out for a second encore with Ann Magnuson. For some reason, I oh, cool. won't know. I don't know. Was she and in Bongwater at the time still? Or she no? might have been, was, yeah. 
And they did a cover of the Yoko Ono song, which is funny because we talked about Yoko last week. Uh, Don't worry, Kyoko. So that was that. And that was sort of like a typical Red Cross set for me. Like, you know, amazing originals and then just like insane covers from every, you know, you never knew what was coming next. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. I'm working on a show with them right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I know they're in the studio right now. Yeah. They're doing an album. Oh, fuck yep. yeah. Right on. Working on it. Not, not booked yet, but working on it. Hmm. So we'll see if it happens. Somebody's taking some time off from the Melvins? Yeah. Well, Buzz is on an acoustic tour right, oh. right now. So, How am I not going to pick a Melvins show for my next pick? Dude, I mean, it's like, it's, it's the dilemma of dilemmas, this three, three shows shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> So many great Melvin's shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus Lizard. Motorhead. At Otto's in DeKalb. Mm. Okay. Wow. It's got to be. It's got to be. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> that must have been really amazing. <laughs> it was. It was. It was uh, face melting. Uh, the, it really was. Uh, it's got to be Iggy Pop, right? We, we got to do yeah. an Iggy Pop show. Which one? That's a great question. You know, is it the one at the Metro? Is it the Vic? Is it the one he just played? Is it the Chicago theater shows? They were great. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the first reunion Stooges show, I think in 2003. The at the Vic, yeah. No, in, in Detroit. The oh, very, Detroit. Oh, oh, oh. very first one. And they played at some outdoor amphitheater. And it was not sold out. I mean, it was it was about halfway attended. But it was their first time back, and it was with Mike Watt. And they played, they played "I Want to Be Your Dog" twice. They, you know, it was the fourth song, and it was the last song. And the entire, like, basically the entire audience ended up on stage. And it was, uh, it was great because it w- it wasn't the best show I ever saw him play, but it really was. It was the most Iggy Pop show that that I've ever seen because I know you know I never saw the earlier ones, but this is probably as close to those early ones as the ones I've seen. Good one. I mean, what can you say? Iggy Pop. Gabe. Is it going right. to be Metallica or is it going to be <laughs> Slayer or is it going to be Iron Maiden? I think there's many people in our audience that knows that the, the pilgrimages from the suburbs to Aragon Ballroom, the train rides, you get there at noon on a weekend. I think it was a weekend. I think it's going to be Ozzy and Metallica. That's what I no, think it's listen, going to be. Let me get to my okay. story. Right. My, my brother, Tom, and myself, we both got there. We had the brown bag of lunch because, you know, if you're going to stand outside Aragon for a long time, you need something to eat because you can't lose your spot. Sure. Keeps so we get, pr- pragmatic. We're walking towards Aragon from the train. It's a a pretty good walk because we don't know the the commute, right? Uh, A cop pulls us over. He sees us walking with these brown bags. He's like, Mm -hmm. hey, little kid, what do you got with those brown bags? Oh, this is our lunch. And my brother Tom had a pack of cigarettes rolled up in his Mm T-shirt. What do you got in there? Well, he happened to have some, you know, some weed in there. And uh, they... They proceeded to unroll it right in front of us and say, no, you can't have this over here. Don't Don't take this over here. So anyway... We get to the to the line. We're standing in line for six, seven hours. May twenty fifth, nineteen eighty six, Metallica at Aragon Ballroom. Astro Puppets tour. 
Master Puppets Tour. First time I got to see my, uh, Metallica because when we got to the UIC Pavilion months before with Ozzy, we got there late and they were breaking down their set. We missed them. Oh, you idiot. I was an idiot. <laughs> but uh, Metallica and Aragon, the chairs were there. They had chairs. Yep. They didn't stand up very long nope. for a long time, but you stood on top of the chairs. Yes. And you tried to balance yourself while you're headbanging, and that's a hard thing to do. <laughs> a hard thing to do. And I did have whiplash after that show. Very nice. Uh, and they played well. whiplash, obviously. Oh, they, I think they ended with whiplash, and they made that part of the Master Puppets reissue, that show. Right. The live recording oh, of that. Really? Right, yeah, right. It, it's, it's part of the, like, the 30th anniversary or something. Now, Gabe, I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. How well do you remember that show? What I remember, and here's the thing, I used to wear glasses back then. I remember Cliff had a bandage on his fingers when he was playing bass because he had some kind of problem or something, but he was playing bass with his right hand. He had like a bandage on it. That's the best I remember about it. But as far as like the show and stuff, all I remember was headbanging so much and my ears were ringing and it was so loud and, and it was crazy. But didn't it sound great? Oh, it sounded great, and I, but you know, that was thirty-something years ago. What, what do you got? I know that's the, like what I'm getting at is the Aragon is much maligned for its audio quality. Notorious, but, someone said. But say. if you know how to mix, if you know what the fuck you're doing, you can make that room sound good. And even as far back as every show I ever saw there sounded great when I was a kid, and I saw a bunch of them. I saw mm. Devo, U2. The Jam, uh, New Order, you know, the all ZZ Top always sounds, that room sounds great um, if you know what you're doing. Right. But there's a lot of people who don't know what they're doing. And that Metallica sounds great every time. Whoever their engineers have always been know what they're doing. What's the secret? I don't know. I'm not an audio guy. I'm not an engineer. Yeah, I have no idea. I think it probably has something to do with stage volume, but I have, can't imagine that Metallica stage volume was was not loud, you know, yeah, at the time. At the time, but it's got to be about EQing stuff and 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 not competing with X, Y, or Z. Right. You know? We played so, we played there in December, and and Paul Massaro did sound for us, and he was mm-hmm. he was like, all right, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this right. I'm gonna need you to do this and this, and he wanted us to do all these things like mm-hmm. point our amps to the side. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Paul, it's it's not gonna happen. <laughs> I need to feel it, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's just not gonna happen. He did a good job though, but but I wasn't much help. No, Metallica, it, uh, that's a great one, great pick. Oh, I, I knew that would be it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was 15 years old. We were the train to the city. You were fifteen, <laughs> <laughs> and that just you know that was the impression that was put on me for the rest of my life. You know, he, the rest of my years in my up to my twenties and thirties, all I wanted to do was go to shows, and because of people like Nick Miller, we we he made it happen. <laughs>
you have inside It's another life. 